Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday as we begin to round out yet another week. This is your go-to for a hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I can be reached at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. So drop me a note and let me know what's on your mind. All right. Uh, coming up on this show next week, we're going to be joined by Senator Ted Cruz. We're going to have a very interesting conversation with him about his new book called, I think it's called Defeating the Unwoke, but it's about the cultural Marxist onslaught that we are now facing and how we can push back. We need tools to defeat uh, what's really been coming at us for decades now, and Ted Cruz has done it in this book. So he is going to be here. I can't wait to talk to him. Also, we're going to have a very, very special show coming up the week of Thanksgiving. I promise you, I just I want to tease it now, but we are going to have a very special show that is going to like blow the doors off of everything. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss this. More details coming up as we get closer to that week, which by the way, is like a week and a half away, two weeks away, two weeks away, I guess. Yeah. Thanksgiving. So uh, more details forthcoming, but I promise you, you're going to want to be here for that. All right. Later today, we're going to speak with Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Nancy Mace is one of these unconventional Republican members of Congress who is almost always trending on Twitter. I always, I log into Twitter and then I, I see like Trump, I see Biden crime family uh, trending, and then I invariably see Nancy Mace's name and I'm like, oh man, what did she say now? She is unpredictable. She is unconventional. Uh, I met her for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I really wanted her on this show. So she is here today. We're going to talk to her about a lot of things, including the election results from Tuesday this week. I want to get her read on that. One of the big issue drivers, abortion. And those of us who are pro-life, we may not want to look at this issue square in the eye, um, but we need to because there are dramatic political consequences to the position, to the issue that the GOP overall embraces. This does not mean by any measure that we need to take our principles and throw them out the window. But losing on principle is still losing. And in order to fight for all of the issues that we care about, including pro-life, we need to be in positions of power. We need to start winning elections. 
So the question is, how do we square that circle on the issue of abortion? We have the other issues down. Economy, border, law and order, getting our cities back, uh, public education, getting our education squared away. We are very good on all of the other issues, but the abortion issue has been an Achilles heel, even more so now after our Roe v. Wade was dismissed, called unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, and kicked back to the states where it should be. But that issue has been weaponized now for, what, 40, 45 years by the left? 50 years now by the left. And so they have decades of uh, indoctrination, of propaganda on this issue, and we're starting from square one, whereas they have like a half a century of emotional manipulative languaging on this issue and and manipulating especially women voters, but men too, on this issue. So we're starting from like a standing still position, whereas they've been going for 50 years. We have to figure out how to navigate this issue and how to speak to suburban women, black women, other women who feel very strongly about this issue and actually only vote on this one issue. Nancy Mace has been leading the charge. Now, she is pro-life, as she is going to tell us here later today. She is pro-life, but she is talking to Republican leadership and others about how we communicate our position, because what we need to do now, now that we've had a couple of election cycles since Roe v. Wade was overturned, we have to figure out a way to speak to female and other voters who care strongly about this issue in ways that are both pro-baby, because we're pro-life, but also pro-mother and pro-woman. All right? So, again, the left has had a long lead time in manipulating the language and scaring the bejesus out of women on this issue. We're starting from a standing start, but we have to begin. All right? It's already very late in the game. So... Most Americans, you know, recent polls show with the advent of technology on sonograms and the rest, you now actually have at or near about 50%, if not a little bit more, who actually believe that, you know, there should be restrictions on abortion. So those, those numbers have come in our direction which is a positive trend, but in order to keep it there and reinforce it and then increase those pro-life numbers, you got to figure out a way how to square that circle. And the only way we can really fight for innocent life is by controlling some of these levers of power and taking them away from the left. And the way that we do that is by winning elections and changing the culture. I talk about this all the time on the show as well. Nancy Mace takes a lot of incoming because she's saying, look, we got to face reality square in the face. Okay, this does not mean change our pro-life positions. This does not mean uh, abandoning innocent pre-born lives. No. It means approaching the issue in a different way. And she's going to be here to tell us what she has in mind, what she has actually been doing, how she has been talking to uh, Republican leadership, other Republicans, the new speaker, Mike Johnson. This is going to be a really interesting conversation. That is moments away. First up, though, the Monica memo. Round and round we go. Where we stop, everybody knows. 
We are talking, of course, of the Republican primary and the third and hopefully last, although I doubt it, I think there's one more debate uh, coming next month in December, but uh, this is all a giant exercise in futility because everybody knows Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. And there are a lot of people on that stage who are playing the long game, who think he's going to be convicted, which is going to weaken him. No, if he is convicted, it's only going to strengthen him politically. Um, but they, they are still in this conventional mindset that if Donald Trump gets convicted, that somehow voters are going to fall away, particularly in the Republican nominating process. Mm-mm, not going to happen. Not going to happen. His numbers have gone only one direction since all of these indictments, these bogus indictments have been brought against him, and that's up. He is now dominating the GOP field by 50 or 60 points, including Governor Ron DeSantis in his own home state. By he, uh, Trump has such a commanding lead in Florida. It, the last poll released this week, 39 points. 39 points. Okay, so all of these political persecutions of Trump have only redounded to his benefit, not just in the GOP race, but in the broader general election race. We now have poll after poll showing that Donald Trump is either tied with Joe Biden, but most polls actually show him now leading Joe Biden by a significant amount. We covered some of these polls here on the show on Tuesday. Go back and listen to that show if you haven't already. The New York Times poll, the CBS News poll, there are other polls now showing Trump pulling ahead in a significant way, in some cases actually out of the margin of error. Margins of error, they vary poll to poll, but they're generally like three to maybe four points or something like that, two to four points. And now Trump is either right there at the top of the margin of error or even outside of the margin of error, not just in the Trump-Biden matchup, but also issue by issue, the economy, inflation, the border, immigration, foreign policy, law and order, crime, issue by issue. Trump has a commanding lead over Biden in most, if not all of those issues. So, Uh, We can do these debates all day long, and, you know, they have some interesting moments we're going to talk about here. But the bottom line is, it's Donald Trump, and then it's everybody else. As I have been saying here and elsewhere for the last two years, this is why you come to the show. We are so far ahead (laughs) of everything and everybody. Uh, It's Donald Trump, and then everybody else. And that dynamic is simply not going to change. Now, that being said, you know, I did catch uh, most of the debate last night. I mean, I I tweeted before the debate, what if they did yet another Trump-less GOP debate and no one cared? Uh, I think people tune in. I think they want to see, you know, the various faces out there, uh, DeSantis, Haley, Vivek, uh, Tim Scott, who is such a nice man. He is so lovely. But this is not his time, and I'm afraid it's probably never going to be his time, unfortunately. He may be a good VP consideration um, because he's lovely and he's smart. But, you know, the, the whole dynamic has changed, guys. And we know that it's very clear to us since 2015 and Trump came down the escalator. In fact, the entire national political dynamic has completely changed. 
And it is thanks to one man, Donald Trump. What a lot of people don't really get here is that, you know, Trump has remade the Republican Party. I write about this in my latest Newsweek piece, which I mentioned on Tuesday. It was published in Newsweek on Monday online. You can find it at newsweek.com. Also, I've posted it to Twitter and I've posted it to my Instagram account as well. So you can read it if you haven't already. But, you know, Trump has completely remade the GOP, not in his own image, but in the image of America first. And so many people either don't see it or they don't want to see it or they're so uncomfortable with Donald Trump that they kind of like blind themselves to it. But again, dealing in reality is the only way to go. If you're living in wishful thinking or some sort of fantasy land about what the Democrats and the left and the deep state have planned for next year, or how they're going to dump Biden, which I am more than sure that they are going to do, Or, you know, the reality around Donald Trump, if you're one of these never Trumpers and you're putting all of your chips on Nikki Haley, um, you know, you're not dealing in reality. Wishful thinking does us no good. We got to deal in hard truths here. Okay. This gets back to Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky was the godfather of leftist communist uh, activism. He's the one who came up with the concept of community organizing. Hello, Barack Obama. Hello, Hillary Clinton. Hillary, by the way, who actually studied under Saul Alinsky. We're going to get to her here in just a second. But the, the godfather of leftist activism and manipulation, Alinsky, used to say, do not deal with the world as you want it to be. Deal with the world as it is and then work to change it. This is what the left does 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And our side is like, oh, living in the clouds somewhere. No, deal with the world as it is, as brutal and as painful and vicious as it is, okay, and as uncomfortable as it is. And I I fall into the fantasy land too a lot. We all do. It's human nature. But if we want to save this country, we got to change that. Mm, Lickety split. All right, so getting to this debate last night, uh, you know, the the media is like really pumping up Nikki Haley. You see it everywhere. Uh, You know, Nikki Haley won last night. Nikki Haley is so good. Uh, Nikki Haley has foreign policy experience, and that's what this moment requires. Guys, Nikki Haley only has foreign policy experience because President Trump appointed her ambassador to the U.N., So keep in mind when you hear people who are like, oh, she's so good on foreign policy. Her experience in foreign policy is thanks to the guy that she often tears down, Donald Trump. And while she was at the UN, she had a boss, President Trump. So it wasn't like she was freelancing American foreign policy at the UN. Oh, she was so tough on the world's dictators. Well, yeah, she was because her boss told her to be. Now, obviously, she feels that way, but remember, she was serving at the pleasure of the President of the United States. She was not out there on her own. She wasn't the VP or the President. She had a boss who was the President, and the only reason she was doing foreign policy at the UN is because of Donald Trump. But the media that hates Trump, they're all out there, oh, Nikki Haley won. 
that's not what I saw on social media. I saw that the winner last night was Vivek Ramaswamy, the young entrepreneur who has been a guest here on this show. Uh, I've been a guest on his podcast as well. Uh, he's a very smart guy. A lot of people on social were like, oh, he's so annoying. Well, you know what was coming off as annoying to them? The fact that he was fighting. He was fighting last night. And because he's young and dynamic and kind of positioning himself as the future of America first, as sort of next generation Donald Trump, so when Trump goes from the scene, which that day will come someday, not soon, but someday, that Vivek is, wants to be the heir apparent. And so he's playing his cards so smart, so smart. And last night on that stage, you know, DeSantis has just completely receded. He is a very smart man. He's a good man. He is um, a very effective governor of a major state. He's done a tremendous job. But, you know, running for president is something else entirely. And again, Trump has remade the Republican Party in the America First fighter image. No more GOP tools. No more neocons getting us into endless, pointless wars. Nikki Haley, the the party is radically different. And the only one who really kind of gets that is Vivek. And the only one who really gets the only way you're going to get the new right, the new GOP base to pay attention and maybe even vote for you is by fighting. This was and is the Trump brand. And Vivek has adopted it in his own way and really made it his own in a way that I think is really important. So don't let the press and other social media tell you, oh, Vivek was obnoxious. Yeah, he got up in Nikki Haley's grill. They had this unbelievable exchange um, where, you know, Nikki Haley was like, oh, TikTok is a CCP surveillance tool, which it is. And uh, TikTok is so bad and Vivek is all over TikTok and Vivek turns and immediately says, yes, I am on TikTok because we would like to reach young people. Otherwise, we're going to lose forever as our party. That's where the young people are. If you want to reach them, you have to take your message to where the kids are. And the kids are all over TikTok. And then he said, and by the way, your own daughter is on TikTok. So what are you talking about? And she was all, keep my daughter's name out of your mouth and the whole Will Smith thing. Um, So they had that kind of exchange. But I'll tell you this, Vivek is the one who really had the clippable moments from last night. At the very beginning, when he was asked, very first question, and he was asked to sort of introduce himself, make an opening statement, Vivek nuked. He absolutely nuked the Republican National Committee and Ronna McDaniel and the RNC and NBC News' panel to their faces, and the crowd went wild. Listen, I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here, and I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We're a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will 
turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross, this is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Accountability. Let me turn to Boom. Mic drop. Vivek turned the tables on the RNC chairwoman, their prolific elections loser, Ronna McDaniel, and the NBC panel hosting the event, Kristen Welker, Lester Holt, I don't even know who else was there, turns the tables on them and pushes it right back in their faces. In your face! That's what we need. Trump, trash talker, telling the truth. He's been doing it since 2015. And he wrote it all the way to the presidency. People do not want the BS anymore, okay? Roseanne Barr was at the Trump rally last night. By the way, Donald Trump won by holding a massive rally somewhere else. Actually, a couple miles away from the Miami debate, Trump won the debate by not being there and holding a rally instead. Roseanne Barr was there, and she was like dropping BS bombs and stuff. It was It's fantastic. People want that kind of refreshing truth-telling and calling these liars and these psychopaths and the people destroying our country, calling them out to their face. And that's exactly what Vivek did last night. So my opinion, Vivek came in second to Donald Trump, who was not there. Vivek came in second and won that debate. Oh, but Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you know, she's fine as far as it goes. And she probably would have been a leading candidate in, say, 2012, 2008, 2004, but not now. Again, this is an America First Party. Just say no to the neocons who want to get us into endless, pointless wars and send your children and your grandchildren into a meat grinder in, say, Eastern Europe or Asia somewhere. That's what she represents. That's why the old guard loves her. She has also turned her back on President Trump. Vivek refuses to do that. Also very smart. He's probably the smartest guy on that stage. He has played his cards very directly. Now, he's called for a new generation of leadership, which can t- be, be interpreted as an affront to Trump or his age. Um, but he has never personally or politically attacked Trump. He's like, hey, man, Trump has been an excellent president. Excellent. And people are like, well, he's angling maybe to run the RNC or maybe a cabinet position, maybe VP. I don't know. I don't care. I just like the way he fights back, because that's what we need. And I can tell you, Donald Trump likes the way he fights back, too. But he's never personally attacked Trump, unlike the others who are all falling apart. Tim Scott has not. 
But Chris Christie, that's his own job in this race. Nikki Haley, as recently as, well, last night, she went after Trump, but also previously she has gone after Trump. He does not like that, nor should he. He's been stabbed in the back a million times, maybe more. So, no, Nikki Haley, I mean, embraced by the never-Trump establishment crowd, she's not going anywhere. They believe now that she is the real Trump alternative. So watch the billionaires turn away from DeSantis, put more money into Nikki Haley. But again, Trump is dominating her by like 50, 60 points. So let's once again deal in reality. One other exchange, Vivek, uh, Nikki Haley was going off about, uh, you know, we got to attack Iran, blow them up and all, all this neocon language. And Vivek had, to me, the line of the night. I think he won the internet with this line. Listen. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? Dick Cheney in three-inch heels. Dick Cheney in three-inch heels. No more neocons. That's what Vivek gets, and the others simply do not. That's not where the party is. It's not where the base is. And Nikki Haley out there flailing around, you know, oh, look at me, foreign policy queen, foreign policy queen. Well, uh, you know, you only have your crown because of Donald Trump. So that was the debate last night. Do not expect the dynamics to change except one thing, Haley, because she's going to get this influx of money. She's the only woman. She did have a good answer on abortion last night. Watch the tables turn between her and DeSantis. You're going to see DeSantis continue to recede. Nikki Haley might gain some ground, as will Vivek. But again, we're talking about a race for distant, distant second place. So Trump is not threatened by any of these people. All right, let's just leave that there. The Democrats, on the other hand, um, because Trump is so dominant in these polls against Biden, uh, and now they're figuring out, unless they already have their plan well in hand, which I'm sure that they do because the left is always organized, our side is not. So now they're running around melting down over Donald Trump, including Mrs. Clinton, Mrs. Clinton went on The View yesterday, and so whenever Hillary is on The View, it's a perfect storm of lies and mental illness. It really is. So Mrs. Clinton went on The View, and she went into full-blown projection mode, accusing Donald Trump and the people who vote for him and all Republicans of exactly what she and the Democrats do. And then she went there. Yep, she went there. She compared Donald Trump to Hitler because, of course, listen. People would get legitimately elected, Mm -hmm. and then they would try to do away with elections and do away with opposition and do away with a free press. And you could see it in countries where, well, Hitler was duly elected. That's right. Right? And so... All of a sudden, somebody with those tendencies, though dictatorial, authoritarian tendencies, would be like, oh, okay, we're going to shut this down, we're going to throw these people in jail. And, and they didn't usually telegraph that. Trump is telling us yeah. what he intends yeah. to right. do. Yeah, and all of the hens of the view who don't know anything, they're so ignorant, they're just sitting there clapping like trained seals along with the audience. 
I thought Hitler analogies were really uh, politically incorrect. You're not supposed to use it. Hitler was a singular evil. The Holocaust was a singular evil. And yet Hillary can uh, compare Trump to Hitler all day long, as can the rest of the left. And no consequences. No one cares. Well, I care. And you care. And that was really disgusting. But it also shows us, the good news is, it shows us how absolutely worried they are about Trump gaining ground on Biden, surpassing him on all of the issues, and attracting independent voters, as well as black voters and Latino voters. They see now an existential threat to their party and their leftist grand project by Trump being so dominant. So I'm telling you guys, they're not just going to rely on the lawfare that they're exercising with all these corrupt judges and Jack Smith and the corrupt Biden DOJ and FBI. They're not going to just rely on that. They've got other stuff coming and we need to be prepared. Okay, two final things here. Uh, very good news. Yesterday, James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, signed a bunch of subpoenas into the Biden criminal enterprise, including subpoenas for Hunter Biden, uh, Joe's brother, James Biden, and one of their key business associates, Rob Walker. He also signed subpoenas for uh, Sarah Biden, who is James Biden's uh, wife, uh, Haley Biden, who is, I think, Hunter's daughter, um, and also Tony Bobolinsky, who is one of the key business partners who has already come out to tell the truth. He's got all the receipts. This is going to be very interesting, but and I'm, I'm glad uh, that Comer and Oversight finally did this. I know that they were getting all of the documentation, the suspicious activities reports from Treasury and the banks, all of that. So if they've got a mountain of evidence of deep corruption and of Biden selling out his office and selling out the country. So they wanted to accrue all of this evidence before they moved on subpoenas. Now they're ready to move on the subpoenas. They have been signed and they went out. Here is the thing though, guys. Remember, uh, Steve Bannon got a subpoena and, and did not honor it. And so they went right after him to prosecute him. I think... Today, Steve Bannon is going to find out, or he, he's talking to people about whether his appeal has been successful. Uh, I think that's today. We'll watch that story. But the Biden corrupt DOJ holds all of the cards. So if Hunter and James Biden and Rob Walker and all these other people, if any of these people don't want to honor the subpoena and show up for transcribed interviews under oath, which is what is being requested here by the subpoenas, if they blow it off and do not show up, well, you've got Biden's DOJ that has to enforce those subpoenas and force these people to show up, and they're just not going to do that. You think Merrick Garland is going to enforce these subpoenas if Hunter says, I'm not showing up, I'm not doing this? No way. No way. This is the difficulty of not controlling the executive branch, not having the presidency, not having an attorney general who's actually pursuing the law and applying it evenly. No, Merrick Garland isn't going to enforce these things. So I'm glad Comer did it. And, you know, we'll see the corruption when Merrick Garland refuses to enforce. If Hunter and James Biden and the rest decide that they're not showing up and going to blow it off, we'll see the corruption. But again, so what?
without the enforcement arm on this, we, we don't have any power. We don't have any power against these people. So that's where we are on this, and we'll be following that story as well. Uh, one final thing, the House passed the Israel aid package, $14.3 billion to go to Israel. Uh, they actually had it paid for by taking the money out of the new IRS budget, the budget to hire 87,000 new IRS agents to come after you. So they actually had the bill paid for with an offset out of the IRS. Perfect, perfect package. They send it over to the Senate. And of course, Chuck Schumer, who is Jewish, by the way, and professes his support for Israel nonstop, uh, the Democrats and Schumer crushed it. So they blocked that standalone aid bill to Israel. And you have people like uh, Democrat Senator Jack Reed saying the House Republican messaging bill represents a misguided attempt to deny needed assistance to Ukraine. It's not really about helping Israel. It's about failing to commit. It's about failing to keep our commitments to Ukraine. Um, what commitments? I don't know. I didn't see any kind of uh, congressional act of, of declaration of war on behalf of the United States uh, to defend Ukraine. All I've seen over the last year and a half is an endless flow of money requests from the Biden administration and Democrats to Ukraine, a cesspool of corruption, where even Ukrainian officials are saying they are stealing like there is no tomorrow. So, you know, when you hear the Democrats say, oh, the Republicans are trying to deny necessary aid to Israel. No, they're not. The aid is right there. In a bill that actually passed the House of Representatives, the aid is right in front of you. If you profess to care about Israel and want to support it as you say you do, well, then vote for it. This is a clean, paid-for bill. But the Democrats have blocked it because uh, they want the money laundering operation and the corrupt gravy train going through Kiev to continue. So, no, they don't actually really care about Israel at all. They care about lining their own pockets, as they always do. One final thing on Israel and the the Hamas uh, war and the raging anti-Semitism that we are seeing uh, in the streets here. By the way, the actress Gal Gadot, who plays Wonder Woman in the Wonder Woman film franchise, um, she is Israeli. She served in the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, and she held a screening yesterday in Los Angeles at the Museum of Tolerance. Okay, so you cannot make up the irony here. Um, she held a screening of the Hamas atrocities against the Israelis, uh, not just on October 7th, but the way they've continued to rocket Israel kill Israelis, the the over 200 hostages that they're keeping, mostly Israelis, but there are some Americans in those hostages as well. She held a screening of this uh, absolutely horrifying footage of Hamas terrorists beheading babies, cutting babies out of pregnant mothers' bellies, gunning people down on the side of the street, elderly, uh, you name it, killing children, just absolute horrors. 
She held a screening yesterday in L.A., and there were pro-Israel folks obviously going to the movie and outside the museum, but also you had the pro-Hamas terrorist sympathizers on the streets, and they began to act violently and just went on a tear against uh, the pro-Israel folks who were peaceably there. So there was a violent clash on the streets of L.A. This is where we are, guys, raging anti-Semitism right in our faces. And what's shocking is it's always been there because this just didn't come out of thin air. It's always been there bubbling under the surface. And all it takes is a match and the left to throw a switch and boom, you get this kind of unacceptable, disgusting violence and anti-Semitism where people from college students to Jews walking down the street in New York, which is heavily Jewish, they don't feel safe. There was a new poll done by INI and TIP uh, that was released this week that has some relatively positive news. It says, when it comes to the Israel-Hamas war, Americans have made a clear choice. A significant majority support Israel not Hamas, while an even larger majority now call anti-Semitism a serious problem. So that's the good news. The bad news is that that poll also found that one in five Democrats side with Hamas. And they're mostly young kids as well, but there are others in that group. One in five Democrats are terrorist sympathizers. That is really disturbing. And you know what? Um, it's not just on college campuses. We have a whole Hamas uh, caucus in the House led by Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Cori Bush, uh, Ayanna Presley, AOC, Jamal Bowman. There are others who sympathize, but that's the core Hamas caucus. Led by Rashida Tlaib, whose anti-Semitism just drips out of every pore of her being. And thanks to a Republican um, newcomer out of Georgia, Rick McCormick, he decided to lead the charge with a censure of Rashida Tlaib. And it actually passed the House with 22 Democrats earlier this week. Four Republicans declined to censure Rashida Tlaib. But we did get 22 Democrats to get on board and say her anti-Semitism is revolting and censure her. There have only been 26 censures in the history of the country in the House of Representatives. So Rashida Tlaib was number 26. You know who was number 25? Adam Schiff. Thanks to Anna Paulina Luda, another freshman Republican who we talked to on Tuesday. Go back and listen to that uh, interview with her on Tuesday. She was fantastic. But we have these freshman Republicans to thank for being absolutely fearless in crafting these censures against these liars and these anti-Semites like Adam Schiff and Rashida Tlaib. The rest of the GOP, I mean, there are very strong ones like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, and there are, there are strong ones in there. But, you know, we need to count on these uh, freshmen to stand up and say, no. We have some tools at our disposal here to hold these liars and anti-Semites to account, and we're going to use them. We owe a huge debt of gratitude to freshmen like Anna Paulina Luna, Rick McCormick. Thank you for doing it and for doing the blocking for the other cowards who are standing there behind you.
All right. When we come back, we're going to talk to Congresswoman Nancy Mace out of South Carolina. She's going to join us to talk about uh, the election results from earlier this week, how the GOP can get its act together on elections, but also on the abortion issue. So sit tight. We're coming right back. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Okay, welcome back. You know, it's always good to talk with Republican members of Congress to find out what's really going on on Capitol Hill because we cannot rely on the propaganda press to tell us the truth. Well, today I am so delighted to welcome to the show a woman who has never taken the conventional route in her life in any direction, Congresswoman Nancy Mace. She represents South Carolina's first congressional district. You can find her on Twitter slash X at Rep Nancy Mace and her website, nancymace.org. She joins us now. Hi, Congresswoman. Hi, Monica. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, it is my pleasure, and it's so good to have you here. And I want to tell everyone that we first met in person on a flight uh, to Washington from Mm -hmm. New York. This was Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. You were dressed in your congressional finery, looking fabulous. And I have to say, (laughs) as a woman who does a lot of travel like you do, I do Mm -hmm. not know how you navigate airports in heels, but you do. (laughs) That makes you even more fierce, Nancy. Very carefully. We'll just say very carefully. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you looked beautiful. And I, of course, was in jeans looking like something that the cat dragged in. And I saw you in the the waiting area at LaGuardia. I'm like, that's Nancy Mace, because I think you were on CNN that morning in the same clothes. And I was like, that's Nancy Mace. I'm going to introduce myself. And I'm so Mm -hmm. glad that we finally connected. Yes. And I follow you on social media. I enjoy hearing what you have to say. Uh, and you have, you have been great for the conservative movement. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right. Before we get into uh, what is actually going on on the Hill, last night we had a big election day in numerous mm-hmm. states across the country. Uh, your reaction to the election results, the GOP had a very disappointing night. And it was entirely predictable, too. And that's where my greatest disappointment is, is that it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this hard for us. But we are losing the messaging war. We're losing the policy war. And we have to get back to the basics. And we've got to start winning again. And and uh, it's sort of it's so disappointing, but it was also so predictable. I mean, the outcome, everyone should have seen it. 
but everyone wants to look the other way and not acknowledge some of the problems that we have with certain segments of the population. You have been very outspoken on the issue of abortion, and mm -hmm. you have taken the lead. And I, I want to give you all props for this, because this issue is so emotional. It's so mm -hmm. difficult. It's so political when it should not be. And you have sort of taken the lead in the Republican Party to change the way the GOP speaks about the issue of abortion. And it was a dominating issue. You know, Governor Yunkin in Virginia was talking about his 15-week uh, abortion ban. If he got control over both houses in Virginia, he was denied both houses. They both went Democrat. Um, and others have been talking about it as well. And you say what to that? How should we change the way we message well, it, on the yeah. issue of abortion? Well, in addition, in Ohio, it was a 75% butt-kicking yes. over the constitutional right to abortion. And when you know that this is a controversial issue post-Roe, you don't run on an abortion ban. Like we, so, and so for me, it's, it's disappointing in the lack of leadership on this issue. People don't want to talk about it. If you talk about it, you're, somehow you're not pro-life. I am very pro-life. I have a, a, a very good pro-life voting record. But I also understand that the environment today is different than it was a year and a half ago. And I'm a conservative. And last summer, post row, my district was a D plus 10 in bright red South Carolina, all because of the issue of abortion. It's not an issue that we should necessarily be afraid of, but we have to listen to women in our districts and in our states and in our country on where they are and talk about you know, I don't think the vast majority of Americans are really agree with the left that abortion up until birth should be the policy. But that's the policy of the left. I dare anybody to go ask Kamala Harris, Gavin Newsom, Joe Biden, what are their limits? They won't tell you because they don't have any limits. And then on our side, we have limits that are the opposite extreme where a 12 year old, 10 year old victim of rape or incest doesn't get any options. That's not okay either. And so somewhere in the middle, and I think the vast majority of people want to protect life, but they're, you know, the pro-life, pro-choice, the, the way that we label it is also wrong because there are people who describe themselves as pro-choice, but have, a, you know, a 12 week ban. <laughs> there are people who are pro-life and say my ban, I, my, my limits up until 20 weeks. Right. And so there's just this really gray area, but that's for 90% of the country is, and we just don't, I've been begging, for example, to get a vote on birth control up here in Congress for 11 months, begging. I can't get it done. And, you know, and so for me, I carry a lot of frustration as a conservative woman, knowing their conservative policies and ideas that save lives, that we're unwilling to have this conversation because talking about the pill somehow is controversial. And it's, it really shouldn't be. It's so it's so infuriating. I mean, the country is hanging by a thread. The communists mm -hmm. are have control over every lever of power. And we're over here. You know, there's so many single issue voters, women, yeah. but a lot of men, too, on abortion. And they, they are they're voting for Democrats in droves on that issue, which the, the what Roe did was kick it back to the states. It is mm -hmm. a state issue. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you live in these states like Ohio, you can vote all day long and and more power to you. Right. But, but we're losing the our country as a result that issue of this, is driving right? the national conversation, yeah. Nancy, is unbelievable at this late date. 
well, we're, we're cutting off our nose to spider face at this point and negotiating with ourselves, which is not a winning formula. And I, war- I started warning everybody when Dobbs happened. And I've been screaming from the rooftops about this issue. Mm-hmm. And we have continued to demonize women. Every time I speak out about an issue, I get demonized. And, you know, you can't demonize women and expect to win women over. And you can't demonize the issue of abortion and expect to win women over. And in my district, in a very purple district in South Carolina, the number one issue is spending and inflation. It always has been. But the number two issue in my district is abortion. And then it's immigration and crime and everything else. But it is the number two issue in swing states and swing districts where the presidential election will be decided on these states. And if you have 75% of your state saying, hey, abortion is a constitutional right, and you're on the wrong side of that argument, good luck next year. And you're going to throw everything that we've worked so hard for, you're going to throw it away. And that is not only my kids' future, your kids too, and your grandchildren. And we have got to do a better job. So I'm going to be meeting with different leadership within our party again. Uh, We've got a new speaker now, and so I'm excited about that and trying to find ways, like next week, for example, we're going to pass a bill to help expedite the processing of rape kits in this country. Not a controversial subject. It supports women. Um, There are so many things that we can do to show women we care and move the barometer, move move the the arrow in our direction um, if we're willing to take those steps. And I have no limit of ideas. It's just a matter of getting people off their butts and doing the right thing and showing women we can find some common ground. We care about you and we care about the issues that matter to you when you go and vote or when you go and ask for help from your elected officials. But we are losing yeah. major, major, majorly on this issue. Yes. Time time again. And you know what? We are so on the back heel because since 1972-73, when Roe was first uh, put in by the Supreme Court, the left has just run with it. They nationalized mm-hmm. the issue. They emotionalized the issue. And so we're we're fighting like four decades worth of their messaging and indoctrinating women about how to think about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your rights are being taken away. They want you in a back alley. All of this uh, madness, and we are we're we're we don't even have a strategy. So my, my we're not even willing um, to talk about it. And then when we do, right. we attack each other. And you just can't like I'm going to be primaried from pro-life people, even though I'm pro-life. I just, right. you know, it's because I, you know, because I talk about things in a common sense way, I want logic and I want to find that middle ground. And, it, you know, we are killing our party when we do this and we've got to work together. We have to talk about things in a rational way and, and come up with policy that shows that we care. Why can't we allow women to have greater access to birth control? Like I have 14 counties in my state statewide where there's not a single OBGYN doctor. I tell people this and they don't believe me. I'm like, well, how's that woman supposed to go get birth control if there's no OBGYN doctor in her county and she's in a poor rural area? Well, thank God my very conservative governor last year when Roe was overturned signed a bill into law allowing a woman to go to a pharmacy to get birth control. Those kinds of policies offer so much common sense. It saves lives because if you if you don't want more abortions, then birth control has to be part of the of the conversation and contraception too. And so it, this isn't hard. It's not difficult math. We're making it so difficult on ourselves. And as a woman, as a conservative woman, it's deeply frustrating to me to go around and carry this message and be the only one carrying the message. It, it doesn't have to be this hard. Yeah. You know, losing on principle is still losing. And yeah, I we think can't save that- lives if we don't win elections. 
Can't well, that's that's it. I mean, if you have no power and the Democrats have total power, you don't have the ability to save those innocent lives at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's very telling, Nancy, is the fact that President Trump, the most pro-life president in the history of the country, mm-hmm. never talks about it or very he, rarely, maybe in a and rally, when he does, he's right on pro-life the issue, and then he yeah. drops it. Yeah. But when he does talk about it, he's right. I mean, he right. has the he is the best position so far of all the candidates on pro-life issues in terms of being able to find common sense and common ground. He understands what's at stake. You know, when you look at the economic catastrophe um, done by Joe Biden, you look at the border, border catastrophe, crime is out of control, our cities are, are in collapse, public education is falling apart and has been for a long time. You see catastrophe in every direction. And yet, There are suburban women, there are uh, other women, there are men too, who are willing to pay like 40% more in their their cost of living, have their quality of life decline, be unsafe walking down their own city streets, but they'll vote for the Democrat over abortion. So we we have to get a handle on this. We're in dire straits. If, 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 you know, looking at the timeline now, we're in dire straits. And Virginia was entirely predictable Anyone who said otherwise is not reading the room and is not listening to women around the country. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank you for taking the lead on this issue. I know you've taken Mm -hmm. a lot of slings and arrows because you've been out front, but we need your leadership on it. So thank Thank you for that. Um, Mm -hmm. You were also like, Two months ago, I guess you were one of the eight courageous uh, souls in the Republican mm-hmm. Party who took on Speaker Kevin McCarthy. You led the charge to remove him as Speaker. And then after when you were successful, we've got a new Speaker who is so much better. So we owe so you a much debt of better. gratitude for that. Oh, my too. gosh. He's so um, much better. Yeah. So much better. First of all, what do you think of Mike Johnson? Love him. Absolutely really? love him. He is as honest as the day is long. And uh, honesty, truthfulness, trustworthiness should matter. If we want to restore trust in the institution of Congress, trust within the party, trust within our conference, trust with the American people, we need an honest broker. And we get that with Mike Johnson. Now, I don't agree with Mike Johnson on every issue, but certainly I know that when he looks me in the eye, he's telling me the truth. He's a man of his word, and he is such a breath of fresh air. In fact, we were... Uh, texting last night because I'm very passionate about the the outcome of the elections last night. I've been calling it for months now and wanted to sit down and have a conversation with him about where we can find agreement. And um, he's willing to do that. Oh, my gosh. Like having someone who wants to listen um, and figure out how we can move forward and, and showcase how our values and our principles are better off for the American people. He's very eager to get us to work. And he's very eager to do the right thing for everybody. Well, I'm really happy to hear that. And he strikes mm-hmm. me as that kind of guy, you know, very uh, devout believer and a man yes. of great morality and integrity. So that is very good news. Um Okay, so speaking of the new speaker and your fight to uh, get these individual government spending bills done, I think I think you guys have done seven or nine. How many yes. have you done? We have done somewhere in there. It's hard to <laughs> <laughs> seven or eight right now. I, I think oh, it's good. more like seven. Um, okay, good. So where where do we go from here? Because next Friday is the deadline, November seventeenth. Yeah. We have five more to go. Four or five more to go. 
And we're going to have to address some sort of, of short-term spending stopgap measure. And I know that they're working on that. That would get us through the next couple of weeks or next two or three months. Um, but also, you know, Schumer hasn't taken up the approach bills because we allowed it, the former speaker allowed it to slide and, and go to the last minute like every Congress does and plays that game with the American people and lies and doesn't tell them the truth. And everyone knows when September 30th is. you got nine months to figure out how you're going to have a budget. But um, one of the things we have to do, and I believe Mike Johnson will do this, is get started, get a head start, early start for next year and, you know, come up with a real budget for Congress, come up with the 12 separate spending bills in the springtime or early summer and then have the rest of the year to negotiate with the Senate. We're, we've run out of time. That's the fault of the former speaker. We've run out of time um, and we're going to be saddled with some sort of short term spending measure until we can figure out the rest of it. And that's not Mike Johnson's fault. Um, but we've got to support him and make sure that, uh, you know, we're cutting spending and giving him everything that he needs, all the firepower he needs to go over to the Senate and get it done. This is what I think a lot of people need to understand, that under McCarthy, all of these CRs funding the government at Pelosi levels uh-huh. was was an actual, like, strategy, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. It was an actual, dumb like, strategy. Yeah, dumb, exactly. Dumb strategy. Like, yeah. You know, the former speaker, too, is one of those guys where he would he told the House Freedom Caucus one day we were absolutely impeaching Joe Biden and then went to moderates two hours later and said, we're never impeaching Joe Biden. Like, where is mm. the where is the leadership? There is there was none. But with Mike, we get a true fiscal conservative. We've got we've got someone who understands where we are, but also he can bring everybody together, whether it's conservatives, moderates, centrists and more independent leaning. I say I'm a conservative independent. Uh, you know, he can bring all of us together in a room and hash out our differences. And that's what we need. And he's going to tell the truth. What you see is what you get. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And if he says, hey, we're in this place because we've got to do this, then he's going to help us figure it out. And um, I'm very excited about that. I don't like the position we're in today. I think uh, it's much more difficult today than it would have been six months ago if he were speaker. But I believe he'll get a head start on next year and we'll be in a much better position next year. It's going to be remarkable to watch like a nice guy finishing first. That never yeah. happens, especially never in happens. politics. <laughs> That'll be great. Yeah. Um, speaking of Biden impeachment, are we going to get that next year? Um, it's hard to say at this point. Um, what we should do is just follow the facts. And I, we got to start subpoenaing people. Like, where mm-hmm. are all the witnesses? They got to be called. I want the bookkeeper. Where the heck is the bookkeeper? That is the guy that knows where all the bodies are buried. He knows the complicated web of layering and LLCs and companies you know, you know, and this, these checks we're starting to see now that, oh, it's just a little loan, no big deal. Well, where are the loan documents? Because they don't exist, right? And, you know, and so we need to start bringing in witnesses. And I'm frustrated with the timeline. And we got to speed it up and get these people in so the American people can see what actually happened, the kind of bribery, money laundering, wire fraud, tax fraud, et cetera, because that's what the Biden family did. They are as corrupt as they come. Well, I think I don't know what your constituents are telling you about impeachment, but I hear from Republican voters across the country all the time. And they're like, if this House GOP does not impeach Joe Biden for actual corruption, when the Democrats had control and they impeached Donald Trump over nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they over will a be lie, even, right? The first, the first one was over a lie. Right. Yeah. Wild. Right. So, I mean, I, I think the Republican base really wants to see 
an impeachment over actual corruption. And I know, Jamie Comer, your colleague, that mm. Oversight's doing a great job of building the case. But I think the Republican base really wants to see, and others too, want to see an airing mm-hmm. of that evidence and then an actual impeachment. We got to get it out there. We got to get it out there. Like it, the uh, absolutely. is the best medicine. We got to get uh, it out there. Absolutely. Um, before we let you go, first of all, what does next year look like for you in your reelection in your district? Well, I represent a very purple district. I will probably have a primary and a general election. That's <laughs> how that works. And I love a good fight. I'm the first woman to graduate from the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina. I love a good fight. Love a good debate about policy and about issues. Um, we've accomplished a lot this year. and We're going to continue on our policy and legislative path of accomplishments. And then, you know, make sure that we have a winning message for 24. And I want to help other candidates to find that message, particularly in how we address women. Because if we don't solve that problem, then there are a lot of people who won't be coming back and we won't win the White House. We won't win the U.S. House and we will continue to lose the Senate. And we just cannot allow that to happen. And I'm willing to fight for everything that I have in order to make sure that we that we win and uh, that we bring people back to the party. We're losing people left and right because of our some of our stances and our policy and how we demonize women. And we got to win those women back. We got to do everything yeah, we can to win them back. Yep. And I appreciate your efforts. I know a lot of people do. They may not always agree with you on everything, but on this. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And that's fine. That's what this country is all about. But on Mm -hmm. this issue of how to speak to women, uh, especially on the abortion issue, but across the board on inflation, gas prices, education, crime, the border, illegals, all of that, uh, you're a really important voice. So we really appreciate you. You have not endorsed for president yet. Is that right? I have not. I have two people that live in my district running for president. Scott and Nikki Haley. I see Tim at church every Sunday. <laughs> so, you know. That's right. South Carolina yep. is very heavily represented in this GOP primary. It's well, awesome. I'm sure President yeah. Trump would love to have your endorsement, as would the rest of them. So do you have any plans to endorse at any point? Not, not at this time. Um, I'm watching things unfold. I, I do believe that Trump will be the nominee, and I do believe that he can beat Joe Biden. Uh, that, that seems to be the case. Every poll that comes out shows that and indicates that. Um, I love primaries. I love elections. It's like the Super Bowl and want everybody to succeed. But when we have our nominee, we all have to get behind them, period. That's we got to That's yeah. it, 100%. Well, Congresswoman Nancy Mays, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank and I you. I hope that we can come back to you as the election season gets really underway. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much, Monica. All right. Another big show, another big week of shows in the can. Guys, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Please tell everybody you know about the Monica Crowley podcast, all of your friends, your family, your colleagues, your neighbors, everybody should be listening to the show. I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you. Have a good rest of your week and I will see you right back here next week with Senator Ted Cruz. Not to be missed. Be well. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Behakel Entertainment, LLC. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.